Yeah, I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. Views Ottawa's Raptors podcast, Bryce Diamond post All Star weekend, Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah, getting to host this event. Um, it wasn't the greatest All Star weekend, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't the greatest one. And having had Cleveland last year. Salt Lake City this year and Indianapolis next year, maybe Milwaukee uh, in 2025. Gosh, um, it's uh, it, these aren't the best places to travel to. <laughs> um, I don't know how the players feel, but it, it's it's not getting all the the hype and uh, glitz and glamour that that other places had. I mean, you had Toronto in 2016, New Orleans in 2017, LA in 2018, Charlotte. Okay. A little bit of a, uh, a dip in 2019. And then you had, uh, 2020 with Chicago, 2021 Atlanta. So the, there were some bangers of, of cities that were right there, of course, started by Toronto in 2016. Um, but then it's, it's just dipped. They had the 75th anniversary last year in Cleveland. Nobody really cares about Salt Lake City or Indianapolis as a place, as a destination. Uh, but hey, it, it, to me, it should rotate through all the cities. So I guess there will be lulls in the schedule, in the rotation. Um, but uh, yeah, there were some highlights. Mac McClung win the dunk contest. Uh, first white boy since Rick Barry did it in 1996. Uh, neither are going to get the greatest dunkers of all time. Neither contest is going to get the greatest contest of all time. I think it's safe to say that Dominique Wilkins versus Michael Jordan and Zach Levine versus Aaron Gordon are probably those best two dunk contests. Um, but Mac McClung, give credit where credit is due. He showed up, showed out. He he was excellent. And and I think shocked some people. Now, he went to Georgetown, so I know that the guys got got lift. And I know that, uh, you know, he, he can do some pretty spectacular things in the air. I've seen him in dunk contests in college. I've seen him on YouTube videos. He's a great in-game dunker, too. So I was not surprised that he could – he could really perform at a high level. Was surprised to some extent that he won it, although I did pick him uh, to win it. Who I did not pick was Dame Dollar Sign, L- Damian Lillard. Uh, my daughter Evelyn did pick Dame to win it. I picked Buddy Heald, who was a previous winner, uh, to take it. And he was strong, but just couldn't get that last money ball to go. Otherwise, he would have had 27 to Dame's 26 in the final round. Uh, I, I thought Jason Tatum would be in the final as well with Buddy Heald and Damian Lillard, but he was not. 
he put his money rack in a in the first spot in the corner three area uh, where he does not shoot a lot of threes. His best spot is free throw line extended um, on the left side. You, you see him take it all the time. All last year in the playoffs, he did it against the Raptors. He's torched guys. Even in last night's all-star game where he dropped 55, uh, Jason Tatum was taking a lot of those threes from the left free throw line extended. So I was kind of surprised. Otherwise, if he gets the money ball rack at that spot, he's in the finals. He knocks uh, Buddy Heald out, I think, from getting there um, based on the scores that they had. Um, and then who knows what would have happened in the final. But regardless, mad respect to Damian Lillard. The way he talked about it, it was like a career dream or career goal of his to win uh, so that he could do something that the great shooters in NBA history have done, the likes of Ray Allen, Larry Bird, of course, the Splash Brothers, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson. So he felt really good about that win. Uh, he might have hyped it up more than it needed to be hyped up, but hey, do your thing, do your thing. Uh, Burner Boy and Thames were there at halftime. Great performance, um, and they were sober, unlike Post Malone's pre-game performance. Man, that guy was gone. Um, but, yeah, it was great to see Pascal give the introductions. Uh, great to see the guys with Nigerian and African uh, connections like Pascal, but the Nigerian connections with Bam Adebayo and the uh, Antetokounmpo brothers, I almost said the Giannis brothers, but the Antetokounmpo brothers, uh, great to see uh, them just enjoying the music of Burna Boy and others. Um, great time. Uh, probably they were, were there, um, not, not only because they're great performers and, and, and great musicians, uh, but they were also there because Salt Lake City probably doesn't have a lot of R&B and hip-hop stars. Just saying. Um, well, today we're not going to focus on the All-Star game. We're not going to focus on All-Star weekend. Just wanted to touch on it. I'm sure you guys uh, who did watch it enjoyed uh, some of the highlights for sure. Uh, but today we're going to continue our series in I've Got the Power, our player empowerment series for Black History Month. LeBron James was the first episode. Uh, did that uh, two weeks ago, um, just before uh, LeBron James set the record for most points um, uh, in his career um, and has brought up once again the conversation, who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And hey, I guess people like that conversation just like Ronaldo and Messi. Um, but we're not going to get into that either. Uh, today, we're going to talk about someone who had a significant role in recent years in the player empowerment movement, and that is Michelle Roberts, the former executive to the NBA Players Association, which has made huge gains in general, but especially um, in the last seven years, much uh, a huge part. Um, huge credit goes to Michelle Roberts, uh, a lawyer who loves basketball 
and hates Duke basketball, which I found out on a podcast last week. Uh, very exciting to to hear that Michelle Roberts is is a Duke hater because obviously you know Zion and I we do not like Duke, um, not big fans, um, and uh, you know when somebody shares in our hate for Duke, then you know that that person is all, already a friend of the pod in our opinion. <laughs> Michelle Roberts um, went to law school after growing up in the South Bronx, birthplace of hip hop, um, being around a lot of hip hop and and basketball, but grew up um, there and then went on to law school, um, got into um, trial law and uh, was uh, even a partner in a, in a law firm in New York City and heard about what had happened with the former um, NBA Players Association executive, Billy Hunter, and how the players had fired uh, Billy Hunter for really mismanagement um, within his job. Now, what you got to understand is the Players Association does a a bunch of things. The Players Association, uh, along with the executive, obviously, who are usually lawyers, they have to negotiate deals uh, for the players um, in their collective bargaining agreements. So it, it's, a, it's a big deal. And, and part of what they hope to do is create financial security after the players have retired. Because in, in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, there have been all kinds of stories of players basically having to go into personal bankruptcy uh, because uh, of all kinds of different factors. But you hear stories like Latrell Sprewell, who I grew up watching, who was an all-star, multiple all-star, Steve Francis, the same, um, you know, guys who are maybe not Hall of Famers, but guys who had a great NBA career, guys who you know, have played at a very high level, like top 25 guys in the league, high level, and went into bankruptcy. And one of the things the Players Association has done over the years is created a pension. And it's and it's fairly minimal, although for your average person, it works. Uh, basically, the players have gotten $50,000 a year. Um, and that's kind of saved people from going into – you know, a pretty serious poverty. Um, in the case of of um, Latrell Sprewell and, and Steve Francis, even Antoine Walker, it kept them afloat and it still keeps them afloat. But there's more things that the Players Association does. It, it helps them uh, have more, um, uh, more say over their contracts. Um, it helped gar- give players guaranteed contracts. Uh, and Michelle Roberts was instrumental in many ways for the players um, in voicing um, their concerns, in helping them get more revenue sharing. Um, you got to understand that there, there are lots of employees within the NBA. We know that. Um, but there are owners who are billionaires like literal billionaires. It's a status symbol, much like sheiks with Premier League teams or, you know, dot-com billionaires in the States um, with with NBA teams. It's a status symbol for these billionaires. And when you go around the league of who owns the teams, 
the people are, are generationally wealthy. Um, they have been, or they have so much money that's come quickly that they want to flex, and this is their flex. Uh, so the players, yeah, they make millions of dollars. Um, in the case of a guy like LeBron James or Kevin Durant, they're making upwards of you know, $40, 45000000 million. Um, but they only play for a short amount of time. And when you're talking about millions, there's levels to this stuff. It ain't billions. And they want to ensure that the money they make is secured going forward. And the Players Association executives like Michelle Roberts are able to do that. And Michelle Roberts uh, heard about Billy Hunter getting fired and said she'd like to throw her hat into into the the the, the ring of recruitment uh, that the Players Association was was up to, and they wanted to make sure the Players Association in 2014 wanted to make sure that they had someone in place fairly quickly because Billy Hunter had been a disaster uh, with his mismanagement and had lost the trust of the players and certainly uh, the negotiation power with the owners. And Michelle Roberts came in, was hired quite quickly, sat down actually with uh, Chris Paul and a few others. Um, I think Andre Godala was part of the hiring group from the Players Association, and they really liked Michelle Roberts. And uh, Michelle Roberts, in that moment of being hired became the first woman to lead a, a, a union of a pro sports league in all of North American history, which is pretty, uh, pretty unbelievable. Um, and to be able to do it at that time when there were some shifts happening um, and players continued to want to speak out, not only within the league, but also within other things, within politics, uh, as we had mentioned about LeBron James last time. There, there are justice issues that exist, um, and they want to be able to speak out and use their platform as NBA players. And of course, this was before Colin Kaepernick took a knee. The Players Association, through Michelle Roberts uh, and the executives, um, you know, the president, vice presidents of Laika Gidala and, and Chris Paul, they were able to ensure that. They're also able to increase the pension money. Uh, They're also in, able to increase how long guaranteed contracts and how much guaranteed salary the players could get. And pretty impressive stuff. Um, the idea of um, player options was a lot more uh, established through the time of Michelle Roberts. And uh, again, revenue sharing, as we said before, like merchandise and ticket sales and TV revenues and stuff like this, Michelle Roberts was able to do it. But where Michelle Roberts really, really left her legacy with the Players Association and the NBA was through the pandemic. And uh, obviously, when the pandemic hit, um, it was really important to the players, but to Michelle, that their health was uh, prioritized first and foremost. And so through negotiations with Adam Silver and the owners, they were able to shut down the league fairly quickly after uh, the pandemic was really starting to grow 
within the United States. And of course, we know uh, Rudy Gobert uh, getting COVID um, and the league shutting down right after that. Um, and, and Michelle Roberts able to pivot with the players. Now, there was all kinds of discussions uh, with Michelle Roberts about whether they would have a season or not. And the owners obviously wanted to make money and, and be able to pull that off. But um, Michelle Roberts really wanted to make sure that the players were invested. And if they were to go in to a bubble situation, um, she wanted to make sure that the health of the players was, was high um, that they agreed at every level and stage of the bubble uh, process going into the bubble, that it was the players were in agreement that they could take votes um, on, you know, kind of each stage of going into the bubble. Um, but the players wanted more than just that. Of course, uh, at this point, George Floyd had died and there was all kinds of protests and rallies and demonstrations and marches that were occurring. Many of the players who were involved, uh, Jalen Brown, we've talked about on the podcast a lot, the guys in Philly um, who played for Philly, like Tobias Harris, were in Philly with Kyle and the Morris brothers. Uh, New York had a presence. Um, obviously, LeBron James was very outspoken, as he had been for the Tray Trayvon Martin uh, murder. And, and he he was um, very vocal in that time, and, and the players wanted to be able to negotiate for the justice issues, to be able to speak out. Um, and Michelle Roberts was able to lead those negotiations to get um, Black Lives Matter uh, on the courts to get the moment of silence before games for the players to not just have their names on the back of their Jersey, but to have, um, you know, justice mes messages. Um, you remember Kyle Lowry's was, uh, education reform. Um, there are other players, uh, that had how many more and, um, black lives, you know, there's all kinds of messages that were on the player's Jersey. And Michelle Roberts is a black woman herself. And so these messages were very close to her, obviously. Um, they impacted the communities that the players had come from and, and the communities that the players represented. And so they wanted to be able to speak up, to be able to negotiate at each moment. And Michelle Roberts obviously was right in the heart of things when the players did say yes. They were able to negotiate for, for all the health and safety protocols uh, to keep their health um, at a premium. And when, once they got into the bubble, um, there were no players who actually got COVID all, all the COVID, um, positive COVID tests that came in were from players who were coming in to the bubble. But once they got there, actually nobody got COVID, which is pretty unbelievable to think about how much dedication there was from the players and the coaches and, and all the media people uh, involved. Um, but it shows how, um, how, how dedicated Michelle Roberts was to her job um, to make sure that the player's health was protected and secured. Um, but 
when they once they got into the bubble and Jacob Blake was shot in the back, I think nine times uh, just outside of Milwaukee, uh, and the Bucks were about to play. There was many conversations uh, that happened just before, and again, it was the playoffs. This is like the first or second game of of that playoff series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Orlando Magic. And there were lots of opinions, you know, going into the bubble. Uh, Kyrie Irving didn't want to play and didn't. Uh, but there were lots of um, opinions from the players and they needed to figure out how they were going to do this and if they wanted to do this. And of course, when Jacob Blake um, was shot, the, the there was actual conversation of whether the, the season should just be boycotted outright. And at first, LeBron James was wanting to close down the season. There was others, but he was the, the loudest voice. And through Michelle Roberts and through Chris Paul and others, they were able to say, hey, where is our voice the loudest? How can we be the loudest on this? Is it through just ending the season and getting back into our communities? Or is it through us continuing to play wearing these jerseys, speaking out um, against police brutality. Um, where, you know, where is it best placed? And Michelle Roberts was able to help mediate those conversations within the players and then within, uh, you know, between the players and the owners as well. And, you know, they made the decision to boycott and she thought that was a, a really good place. And I think the players felt like that was a good compromise for those who wanted to shut the season down. I remember, I remember Kawhi didn't want to play anymore either. Uh, obviously with Kawhi, he wasn't as vocal. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of thoughts. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of um, uncertainty. And Michelle Roberts was in the middle of that to help the players um, as a collective be able to speak out in the ways that they wanted to and, and have the integrity uh, to themselves, to their for their communities, and, and to the message that they held. And man, I would love to have been behind the scenes just to be a fly on the wall, to hear those conversations, to, to see Michelle Roberts' leadership in those very difficult moments. Um, just incredible. But Michelle Roberts said that, that's actually uh, that bubble uh, season, as as well as uh, it came off and and as uh, successful as it was, outside of the fact that the Lakers won the title, um, she said it wasn't her hardest year as as the player associations executive, where she found the most difficulty was the next season because they weren't going to do another bubble. The players. Uh, committed to the bubble for two or three months, but they were unwilling, which, you know, totally understandable why they wouldn't. Television deals uh, weren't going to go well if it was in the bubble, but it was the players and it was the families. They didn't want to be separated from their families for, you know, five, six, seven, eight months. Uh, they wanted to be able to be to, with their families and figure out a way to maybe have the fans come back as well. And she said the health and safety protocols were very difficult, difficult on the players, difficult on everybody. And there's a lot of players that because they weren't in the bubble, um, 
they didn't want to have to deal with, you know, going through all the health and safety protocols uh, and all the, you know, they were out, they were in the bubble. So they, they, they wanted to enjoy their lives. These are guys in their twenties, maybe early thirties. Some of them have family, some of them don't. They wanted to be able to, they wanted to be able to go to, to family uh, events and, and go to birthday parties and, you know, stuff that, that people do, but they, they had to embrace the moment uh, that was the pandemic. Um, and that was really tricky. And of course, players did get sick. And, and when they got sick right before the season or, or at the beginning of the 2020-2021 of the season, just after the bubble, um, they, they, their eyes kind of opened up wide. They had been in a bubble for seven, eight months, literally. Um, in in a bubble because of their privilege, because of their wealth, because they were in that the bubble season, um, and when they came out, they realized, holy crap, COVID is real. Um, and of course, you know the story of Carl Anthony Towns having seven family members die, um, other um, members of the NBA community who had uh, retired, who were former Hall of Famers, they died of, of COVID or, or circumstances tied to COVID, complications tied to COVID. And so Michelle Roberts was really helping the players understand the gravity of this moment and that they could continue um, to speak out against all kinds of inconsistencies and inequalities and justices that existed in that next season. And uh, they were able to get a shortened season um, rather than playing the full 82 games, they played 72 games that next year. Um, and she said it was a really trying year because the owners wanted to make their money back. And 72 games was where television deals, that was their minimum uh, number. And so they had to get to 72, but it was a compressed schedule. So how do you figure out a compressed schedule um, to knowing that the turnaround from the bubble season to the next season was going to be tricky. It was only going to be two months. The draft was very quick. Um, it, it was very, very difficult. Of course, for the Raptors, uh, they had to play in Tampa uh, because nobody wanted to cross the border. Um, there were lots of players. Oh, I shouldn't say lots. There were, you know, maybe 5% of the players had not got the vaccine um, when they could have. It was Michelle Roberts who was at the the center of all these conversations and layers and complexities. And you, you want to talk about a trial lawyer. Uh, she was in trial every day in negotiations with different opinions that players had. You know, some players got vaccines, some didn't. How do you work through that? How do you do that as a players association? You know, C.J. McCollum was in the middle of, of that. I think he was the president at that time uh, in that 2021 year. Um, how do you negotiate with, with knowing that there's different jurisdictions, different states had different requirements and protocols? California was incredibly different from Florida and Texas, as a for instance. Um, how do you get the Raptors the most money they can possibly get and in a situation that doesn't cramp the style of other franchises, uh, but maximizes their revenue. They, 
chose Tampa in the end, which worked for the players in that uh, they had no income tax that year because Florida doesn't have any state income tax. So that worked out. But, you know, Tampa is not a, a great destination. It's not bad, but it's not Miami. It's not L.A. It's not um, New York or Boston. But they had to negotiate all that, and, and it was able to work out. It certainly isn't Toronto where they wanted to be. Masai tried desperately to get it there. But when they talked with the league and, you know, you have all these different opinions, Michelle Roberts at, at the, you know, middle of in the middle of all that negotiating what an incredible leader at such a difficult time and helping to pave uh, a, a really a, an incredible path of integrity but also empowerment for the players going forward and after that season uh, she was just spent she had been the players association association executive advocate for eight seasons at that point, at the end of that season, and just said, it's time. It's time. It's time to retire. And, um, and and she did. But she said one thing that really was interesting. There's many podcasts that I've listened to her on as well as read many articles. But one of the podcasts uh, that she was on uh, with Jay Williams, who's on ESPN, former uh, Dookie, so he he does not like the fact, or was curious about the fact that Michelle Roberts was an anti Dookie <laughs> uh, fan, but he was really curious about the All Star Game of 2021, and Michelle Roberts was very clear that um, Adam Silver dropped the ball. Adam Silver and the uh, negotiated on behalf of the owners as the commissioner. Um, not for the players in, in really any kind of way in making sure that the All-Star game happened. There was revenue that happened with the All-Star game that year um, quite a bit, both TV and otherwise. And, but the players wanted nothing to do with that. And unfortunately, in the uh, previous collective bargaining agreement, the one thing that the players did not have any control over and still don't, and that might be something that happens this summer as the collective bargaining agreement is renegotiated uh, for, is the All-Star Game. The commissioner and the league uh, administrators are in charge of that. And they did not want to go anywhere. The players were in a compressed schedule. They had had a quick turnaround they wanted to go home to their families. They wanted to have 10 days off, and they did not. And Michelle Roberts was really unimpressed by Adam Silver in that moment that he pushed that through because there was some debate around it, and then it finally got pushed through, and, and Greed won, unfortunately. And, and Adam Silver, I think it's a bad rap that he was the only guy that wanted to see it uh, happen because, you know, he's – negotiating on behalf of the owners. But I think she felt that that Silver uh, did not do a good job of, of understanding and advocating for the players in a way that he could have. Uh, and we've seen this in, in other instances before where uh, he is not uh, uh, the most savvy when it comes to justice issues. He's not the most savvy uh, when it comes to 
um, compassionate humanitarian uh, reasons for doing things and seeing the world in that way. Um, and again, here's a commissioner who uh, is, is a white man at the end of the day, um, and he's a very privileged and powerful white man. And when he is in a league that is 80% black, 85% black, yeah, you got to do better. You've got to see through the player's eyes uh, because the owners are not 85% black. Um, the owners aren't even 85% people of color. So um, a real ball drop there. And, and she didn't get too much into it, but you could tell by her voice that she was not interested in 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 talking more about it because she was, you know, I think pretty pissed off at, at what he had done or certainly unimpressed. But Wow, to be the first and only woman for uh, in in North America to lead uh, a players' union as a woman, as a black woman, is is pretty incredible. Um, there were many um, uh, media outlets like Sports Illustrated, like Forbes, who said uh, that she was in the top ten most influential women in American sport. Uh, most, some said even the most uh, t- top 10 most influential women period in the United States. And to see how she navigated um, those negotiations and contracts and, and agreements uh, is, is pretty profound. And to be able to come on the other side of that and be able to speak um to, to that time and how important it, it was, um, how important work it was for her um, and for the players is uh, something uh, for us to recognize and have gratitude for in a lot of ways. Because again, the NBA, as we've said in the past, and as we'll continue to say, leads, leads the way for leagues. It is the model for leagues on justice issues and has been for, for COVID protocols uh, as well. And, and for the player empowerment movement. And Michelle Roberts, I would say, uh, helped the players take further strides. Um, and, and, and being uh, African-American herself and having grown up in the South Bronx, I think her perspective, her as a person, as well as an incredible leader and lawyer, was able to get the players further along than they than they really other uh, had had before, let alone the fact um, that it was during the pandemic as well. Anyways, check uh, more uh, out about Michelle Roberts. Um, you know, before she was the player, um, uh, NBA Players Association executive, it was she was not someone I knew um, anything about. Um, and I knew how important a role she had played and how highly the, the players had spoken about her, but I, I didn't know too much about her. So it was great to be able to research some um, and, and just hear her speak in podcasts about her experience of coming to the Players Association and, and, and then, of course, navigating specifically the time of the pandemic, that bubble season and the year after. But take some time. Uh, do some homework on Michelle Roberts, whether it's as simple as Wikipedia or, or reading some articles. But uh, an impressive woman 
who now gets to be in retirement and do the things that she wants to do and say yes when she wants to say yes. And I love that to talk about someone who feels fully empowered in, in their choices um, and continues to model that for, for players and people um, who, who are around her. Anyways, guys, I hope that you enjoyed uh, the long weekend. If it's a long weekend where you are, um, definitely enjoyed the long weekend here in Ottawa uh, and, and looking forward to uh, the Raptors getting back to, to games. But of course, I'm glad they're resting and hopefully everyone's had a chance to rest. But um, our hope is that OG and Gary are healthy when they return, even Thad Young is healthy very soon and we can see all these guys playing at a high level together too but until then take good care we'll catch up to you soon peace